The new year has opened quietly for the book world and particularly in the ebook market. Barring the unexpected, 2016 sizes up as a period uninterrupted either by game-changing new devices or disruptive business models. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Even in such tranquil times, the winds of change are blowing. At the nation's libraries, ebook circulation continues its climb, while elsewhere, ebook sale numbers fall flat or decline. Andrew Albanese, publisher's weekly senior writer, joins Beyond the Book every Friday. He can explain now why libraries have reasons for concern that already high ebook costs could spike further. Andrew Albanese, welcome back to Beyond the Book. Hey there, Chris. Uh, well, uh, good to speak with you. Good to see you last week in, in our hometown of Boston, where you were attending the ALA midwinter meeting. It closed out on Monday. And in this coming Monday's issue, there's quite a bit of coverage there. So for starters, how was the show from your end? Well, I thank you for your hospitality in Boston. First and foremost, it was great to see you there. And overall, the ALA show was really quite good. You know, I'll note right up front that for the first time in three years, the weather actually cooperated. Last year in Chicago for the ALA midwinter, thousands were stranded by a blizzard. And the year before, 2014 in Philadelphia, a snowstorm and frigid temperatures also snarled travel. So we had a little rain in Boston, but that we can handle. So overall, that was a very good development weather-wise. Attendance-wise, it was also a very strong meeting. Uh, the attendance hit just over 11,000. I think 11,716 actually was the final number. Uh, and that's actually more than attended the previous meeting in Chicago in 2015. And Chicago is ALA's hometown. So they historically have really popular meetings. So very impressive attendance. And making that even more impressive is that this is a year where there's also a biannual Public Library Association meeting. And that meeting is set for April in Denver. And our co-producer, Jeremy Brisky, is, that's his hometown. So, Jeremy, coming to see you. The program is pretty good, too, at ALA in Boston as well. It included a really fascinating opening session on the nature of creativity that featured uh, documentarian Ken Burns and authors Terry Tempest-Williams and Mark Kurlansky. And Kurlansky has a book coming out on paper that is outstanding. And I really urge listeners uh, to look for that. I think it's out in May of this year. Fashion designer Isaac Mizrahi was also uh, at ALA this year, and he gave this really rollicking talk about his upcoming memoir. United States Senator Cory Booker was there. He keynoted the ALA President's Program, and his talk wasn't quite as rollicking, but uh, he was definitely inspirational, and he has a book coming out this spring called United, Thoughts on Finding Common Ground and Advancing the Common Good. Uh, it's a particularly timely message, I think, given the State of the Union uh, this year. And of course, there's always the awards at ALA. We had the Youth Media Awards, which are the most prestigious awards in the kids' book market. Uh, Matt DeLapena took home the 2016 Newberry Medal for his picture book, Last Stop on Market Street. And Sophie Blackall took home the Caldecott Medal for Finding Winnie, uh, the true story of the world's most famous bear, of course, Winnie the Pooh. And Laura Ruby won the 2016 Michael Prince Award for Bone Gap. Uh, and for the first time in five years, the ALA Adult Book Awards, the Carnegie Medals, were announced at the ALA Midwinter Meeting. Now, there will still be a reception with the authors where they will get their medals and a $5,000 check, and that'll happen at the ALA annual conference in Orlando this year. But in fiction, The Sympathizer by Viet Son Nguyen took home top honors. Uh, and for nonfiction, Sally Mann's Hold Still, a memoir with photographs won for nonfiction. And I should point
point out that both books earned star reviews from PW. So I'm just going on here, but you can read more coverage and you can read uh, a bit of a wrap up in Monday's issue of PW or on the PW website. And I'll just add, Andrew, that I attended uh, the Monday closing day of the ALA midwinter meeting and met with a number of really interesting vendors and publishers, but I also had a chance to see the closing speech by Chelsea Clinton. And I wasn't expecting much, but I was very pleasantly surprised. She really can uh, deliver a nice sort of TED-like talk and had a really uh, heartwarming message. And when someone asked her um, where she likes to read uh, books, she, she said, well, anywhere, everywhere, but especially curled up with my 15-month-old daughter. So that was all very nice indeed. And you get all the news, as you say, in the PW uh, issue coming out on Monday. You've also got a column about a topic we talk a lot about on this show, and that's ebooks in libraries. The news there is pretty mixed, and you've learned a lot at ALA. Share that with us. Yes, you know, as we mentioned in our last podcast, I had the, actually had the pleasure of speaking on a panel uh, on the subject of ebooks in Boston. Uh, and as I write in Monday's column, during the Q and A period, one librarian stood up and asked what I found to be a pretty telling question. And I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, he wanted to know when exactly publishers started to approach libraries on such adversarial terms. And I found that question revealing because it underscored this beleaguered feeling that I found increasingly common among librarians who. Do with ebooks. You know, despite what we believe to be progress on library ebooks, all of the major publishers now offer their full catalogs for lending. That's a good thing. Uh, in fact, the librarians I spoke to in Boston sounded more concerned than ever about their ebook futures. Now, yes, of course, securing basic access to ebooks definitely counts as progress uh, when compared to the alternative of not having access to ebooks at all. Uh, but the message I heard consistently in Boston was crystal clear. As it's currently set up, the library ebook market is just too burdensome to manage, too hard for users to navigate, and and library ebook prices at this point are just too expensive to sustain. Uh, and in my talk, unfortunately, I had to tell librarians that, you know, not much was probably going to change in the next two years. Well, you know, that's a really interesting statement, Andrew, because so much has changed in the book business. What makes you think that things aren't going to change in the next two years? Well, you know, we've entered this new phase. You know, in the January 4th issue of PW, in a piece called What Does 2016 Hold for Digital? I explored uh, the issue a little and more in depth with my colleague Calvin Reed here. And, you know, basically it's because, you know, as we've discussed on this show, because the consumer ebook market is sort of in this precarious spot at the moment. You know, sales are declining after years of growth. But why sales are falling is really the question. Uh, and while there are many guesses as to why ebook sales are falling, some are quite well educated guesses, I'll say. The takeaway for me is this. Ebook history so far is a really small sample and so far a really biased sample. Remember, it was only in November of 2007 that the black and white Kindle sort of broke the ebook market wide open with bestsellers that were priced at $9.99. Just two years later, the iPad ushered out the black and white e-reader era and brought in the tablet era and, of course, the agency model with for ebooks. And that, of course, led to a price-fixing suit, which we've talked a little bit about here on this show, uh, and that was brought back in 2012. And that led to two years of court-imposed ebook price discounting, and those sanctions expired at the end of 2014. Uh, and just at the end of two, or middle to the end of 2015, all of the major publishers finally signed new two-year distribution deals with Amazon, both for print and for digital. And those deals gave the publishers what they long wanted and long have been battling for, which is control over consumer ebook prices. And as we expected, publishers immediately went out and raised consumer ebook prices 
hyper popular bestsellers and front list ebooks. So here's the thing from a publisher's perspective, for the first time in ebook history, there are finally no major disruptions on the ebook horizon. There's no game changing devices looming like the iPad. There's no fundamental changes in the retail market like the 2010 shift to the agency model. There's no contentious negotiation with Amazon, at least not for now. And there's no court imposed pricing sanctions or any other sanctions. So with no thumb on the scale, that means publishers are poised to actually finally get the clearest picture yet of consumer habits. You know, what their true demand for ebooks is, what uh, their demand for print is, what prices are going to work or not work, as well as the viability of new channels such as subscription access and direct sales. Unfortunately for libraries, that also means that publishers are probably not going to be eager to experiment with new e-lending models. They don't want to throw that wild card into the mix right now. They just want to see what's going on with ebook consumer demand for now. Everything else will sort itself out in the future. Well, you know, Andrew, it's a really insightful observation, and I should tell listeners that I have posted onto our Facebook page, uh, our Beyond the Book Facebook page, the very article you speak of that you wrote with Calvin Reed, uh, What Does 2016 Hold for Digital Publishing? But the observation that this is going to be a kind of a special year because we don't expect a lot to happen really does, I think, uh, uh, shed some light on what will happen in 2016. And I've been pondering it ever since you brought it up. And I guess I have to ask you, with, with all of that, where does this leave libraries? Have they got any choices ahead? It's hard to say. At this point, I would say they're going to have to really sort of batten down the hatches for the next couple of years. You know, the panel that I spoke on in Boston uh, was sponsored by the ALA's Digital Content Working Group. And that's an initiative that launched five years ago to engage publishers on a range of digital issues. Most prominently, of course, they were fighting for ebook access from at the start. But from the start, I've been really impressed with the way the group had embraced its mission and the patience that it displayed. You know, and that patience not only helped libraries overcome the initial publisher resistance to secure during basic ebook access, but also, and more importantly, I think it succeeded in opening unprecedented lines of communication between librarians and publishers. And as I told librarians from the stage in Boston, over the next two years, they're really going to need those lines of communication and they're really going to need their patience. But that patience doesn't mean that they have to be silent and it shouldn't translate into silence. You know, at the end of the panel in Boston, librarians were asked to share which issues were of paramount importance to them. And believe me, they did not hold back. And even after the the session, all the librarians that I spoke to were not holding back. And basically, they told me that managing a catalog full of titles that expire on all these different terms is just too cumbersome and inefficient for them to manage. One said that being forced to pay inflated prices for perpetual access, which is the Penguin Random House model that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and these are books that libraries don't want to keep forever, well, that's a price too. I mean, how many copies of Who Moved My Cheese are librarians uh, keeping on their shelves these days? That was on the bestseller list for, you know, tens maybe hundreds of weeks, but there's just not that much demand for it anymore. So why would libraries want to pay up front for use that they're not going to have in the future? We also talked a lot about how reading is a hybrid thing now. Most people are not choosing digital or print. They're choosing both. And being forced to pay these high prices for library ebooks means that they have less wiggle room to meet demand in other formats. There's only so much budget money. So you know if they have to spend five times the consumer price on an ebook, that means they're going to be able to buy less print, and that's going to translate into user dissatisfaction. 
satisfaction. Users, meanwhile, are not too satisfied compared to services like Amazon and uh, you know, all of these uh, Netflix and everything, all these streaming services that are redefining expectations. The library, library ebook lending is still pretty cumbersome and pretty still pretty dissatisfying. And there's still long hold lists to get at popular books. Can you imagine if you went on Netflix and said, I want to watch this movie? And it came back and said, you have to wait three months before you can watch it. What would happen in Netflix's model? Not too good, right? Well, you know, it's worth noting also that you know while consumer ebook sales are declining, it's still on the upswing in libraries. Overdrive, uh, which is the leading vendor facilitating library ebook lending, reported that ebook circulation was up 19% over the previous year, and that 33 libraries now report ebook circulation above 1 million. Uh, but I think that's cold comfort to librarians as they wrestle with the you know complexity of dealing with print and digital and audio and all these different things that libraries are now having to fight through. So in sum, getting basic ebook access was a huge step for libraries, uh, and they were patient in getting that. But establishing a sustainable ebook service that works for everyone is the next step. And that's a really big step. And you can read more about it in my column in PW on Monday. Oh, well, yeah, we will do that, of course. And you know that's the trouble with technology, Andrew. You can create all these great new channels and exciting delivery systems, but it's the sustainability part that stops everybody cold. Well, when it happens, we're sure you'll report it, and we'll share it with our listeners here and beyond the book. Andrew Albany, senior writer for Publishers Weekly, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights licensing technology and content workflow organization. At CCC, we serve more than 35,000 customers and 15,000 copyright holders worldwide and manage more than 950 million rights from the world's most sought-after journals, books, blogs, movies, and more. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, Beyond the Book. Book.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.